If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. This is our 51st episode, and we are so excited to get it rolling. My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of a couple of books, well, a brand new book coming out in just a couple of weeks, Jesus Unveiled, Forsaking Church as We Know It for Ecclesia as God Intended. Boom. Uh, and I'm joined by my two amazing co-hosts, uh, Matt and Jamal. Say hi, guys. Hi, friends. My name is Jamal, and uh, it's a pleasure to be back on the Heritage Happy Hour. I'm just uh, re- uh, have a newly released book that came out called Living for a Living. And if you haven't read it, uh, please don't listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> wow. Oh. Well, then, I guess we just lost all of our listeners. <laughs> I, I know we're just going to talk to each other now. <laughs> I guess I'm so. just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. I, I don't <laughs> think anybody really pushed pause. Or- Jokes, just joke. I hope someone did, just to spite you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I'm out of here. I guess I'm out. Hey, that makes me Matt DiStefano, author of Free to Love. No, that's not it. Author of Heretic and a, and a couple other books. Yeah. And uh, a new book on the way called Devoted as Fuck. So. There you go. Double. Wait, Thank you. Double dipping. Double dipping there's, early on here. There's a cuss word in the title. There'll be a cuss word in the title. Well, I think the title will have to have like a little asterisk where uh, the U is. But, you know. I see. So. I like yeah. it. I like it. Well, th- well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. Not everyone will. No, it's going to be great. But some people, some people will. <laughs> hey, everyone. I need to uh, let everyone know that this episode is sponsored by our good friends at the Hope Center, a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. Would you please visit their website at servealabama.org? For more information and make a generous donation. Thanks so much. Yes, and as we have previously announced on uh, on, on previous episodes of the Heritage Capiar, we actually have a hotline, and that does make us um, unique and probably the best podcast. Mm. And uh, and the number is is two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. Again, 240-343-7379. We'd love to hear from the listeners. We'd love to get voicemails and texts and uh, and money, things like that. So here, here's uh, we actually have a voicemail. Let's uh, cue that up. Hey, guys. I love your podcast, and I would love to hear your thoughts on something. Uh, I've come to a conclusion here lately that the teachings of Jesus are totally different from the rest of the Bible. Everything that Jesus did, he brought change, he brought the new way. All of the religious people back then were in an uproar at everything he was doing because he wasn't obeying the laws. He was telling the religious people, basically, stop being religious, you know, stop being hypocrites, um, that their hearts were bad, you know. What my question for you is, when Jesus ascended back into heaven. It seems like many of his followers went back to wallowing in the mud of the laws and being judgmental and and you know condemning people to hell and even the rest of the New Testament much of it is totally different 
from the teachings and words of Jesus himself that you find in the Gospels. Why is that? You know, why are the Gospels part of the canon? I believe the Gospels are the canon within the canon. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I'm really finding out that Jesus is way different from the rest of the Bible. And if we could really get take hold of this, I believe that American conservative Christianity would go down under. Mm. Thanks for your thoughts. Well, uh, I guess my – what do you think? A lot to unpack there. Well, lot, no, go for it. But just that's a lot. There's a lot. That there. was a that was a very long voicemail. We should have a time limit on these things. <laughs> but um, well, I, I can't help it as, as I'm listening to this guy. I'm I'm honestly what I'm thinking in my head is, well, duh. Uh, have you been listening to this podcast? Yes, uh, I think exactly okay. everything you just said is very very true. And it's funny because um, I don't think it's obvious <clears throat> in the beginning when you first read through the New Testament, but I think you're right. Like when you read Jesus, I, absolutely Jesus is, uh, he, he's, yeah, that's why he's even contrasting his teachings with Moses and a lot of the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, he comes out of the gate of the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you, he's constantly contradicting. Um, this is why the people are marveling at the end of the Sermon on the Mount saying that he taught with authority because he was assuming a lot of authority for himself by saying, you know, um, I'm superseding everything you've heard so far. But it's also interesting, like he pointed out, how um, after Jesus, we don't see the disciples or, or the apostles um, like perfectly following the, the teachings of Jesus. In fact, what we see is them, like he said, almost immediately screwing it up and getting it wrong, right? It took a long time for Peter to figure out that the gospel was for the Gentiles, really? Um, and then there's also even the part in Acts which I think you could, we, I used to just gloss over it, but, but I think it's, someone pointed out to me, it may be one of the first big mistakes of the early church was the place where the disciples, the, the 12 disciples say that they can't, they shouldn't neglect the word of God uh, because they're waiting on tables, right? And then they elect other people to wait on tables so that they can devote themselves to right. basically being in ministry, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, well, wait a second. No, no, no. That's where they screwed up because Jesus would have, if he was there in person, Jesus would have said, hey, you idiots, waiting on tables is the ministry of God. That is the word of God, the work of God, the word of God is for mm -hmm. you to be a servant. He He even said to them when he washed their feet, do you know what I've done for you? Like, this is the, what I've modeled for you, that you would be the servant underneath humbling yourself, washing one another's feet, not lording it over people. And then that part of Acts is sort of like, that was one of the first mistakes they made. And then kind of that set them on this trajectory where they ended up later on in the third and fourth century of bishops and overseers and, you know, pastors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's a good point that you make. Um, it's it's pretty obvious, especially if you read like Mark, that the disciples just didn't get it. And it's it's you know, they're kind of depicted as idiots, but it's sort of it's sort of understandable because Jesus was unique and he was creative. And there's so much to unpack with regards to his uh, his mis his mission, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so it's sort of understandable that, I mean, we're still wrestling with these things on how to follow Jesus, um, what that really means. And so it makes sense to my mind that they wouldn't figure it out right away. And, and we still haven't quite figured it out. Yeah. I will sort of disagree, though, that like 
I don't think Jesus completely like is contradictory to what would be called the Old Testament. I think if you read the Hebrew scriptures, you do see a progressive way of going about things. There's a theological progression. There's a debate. There's a discussion throughout the entirety of the Hebrew scriptures. And there are what we might call contradictions, you know, contradictory ideas, pushback. And I think Jesus just creatively teases the best things out of it. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say he like completely contradicts or abandons or um, tosses out his scriptures. I just think he he um, he he draws out the very best of them in a in a spirit of love, and and I think that's the point of them. And that would be, I think, Jesus's point. It's that. No, the goal of the law, it's all summed up in loving God and loving neighbor, which is really the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the spirit of it. And he just fleshes that out in the most creative, unique sort of way, which isn't always necessarily like not typical of Judaism. That is typical of Judaism. Mm-hmm. So those, those are just my, my initial thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I had to, okay, I love the hot. I love the hotline. Everybody knows this. We know that. We we all know. Yes. But if I had to, for me personally, this voicemail is probably my favorite <clears throat> that we've gotten. Because, what? Because it is my favorite because, for, well, first, let me just say I love the caller's accent. Love the southern accent because we're all, you know, and and basically the three hosts of us are we're three white southern males, but. Mm-hmm. If, in all seriousness, though, I do love the Southern accent. It's awesome. Um, but I love what he's picking up on um, because this is a, it is a game changer. Um, I would agree that you're noticing something distinctively different. What I hear the caller saying is there's something about the words of Jesus that seem distinctively transcendent, different than some of the other, you know, and I, you know, and that's my understanding as well. The law, most of the law, you know, these things, you know, it's not inherently bad. There are, there are portions of what was written in the Old Testament that are, I would call evil, um, mm-hmm. because it's coming from a very darkened uh, understanding. It's very, it, it represents God in a way that God is not. And so some of these things that are written in the Old Testament are just flat out wrong. And I mm-hmm. believe that Jesus came, a lot of Jesus' revelation, um, he was coming from an enlightened place. And so obviously he would contradict those, those portions. And, and like Matt was saying, there are, there are some beautiful things. Obviously there was divine revelation happening and there's always been happening. There's been divine revelation happening since even before there was written language. So obviously the, the Hebrew story is going to contain some of that. And I think there's some real uniqueness in the Hebrew um, revelation of the divine and, and their contribution to the world. And that obviously Jesus is a product of that, which is amazing. But, um, mm-hmm. but I do, I, I, I hear the heart of this caller and I also see the same thing in the new Testament. You see a lot of, you know, I think, I think the, you know, the writings that of, of the canon that we have. And again, he mentioned the canon again. I don't think that's the canon. Uh, I believe that canon that we have today is a fourth century invention by the Roman Catholic church. So again, there were many more gospels, many more writings that were out there. Um, and what we have today is just what the select councils decided we would have. Um, so it's not accurate and that's not complete. It's not full. The, the canon continues, honestly. I really believe that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, because it really what we mean by canon, you know, obviously they, the idea, the, the word canon means these are what we're going to measure the books by according to the certain standards. But obviously like 
what's decided is what is inspired and what isn't. Lots of things are inspired. Um, right. So, uh, you know, you know, again, so I don't want to get off on that, but I hear what the caller is saying. And I, um, I would say that Jesus' words are different for a reason. And the reason his words seem to be different is not just because he's Jesus. I think, and this will probably get into our topic later, but I think Jesus' words were different because they came from an understanding of his true identity. And I think Jesus knew who he was, unlike human beings, uh, you know, that are wrestling with our, our identity. I don't think, I think what makes Jesus unique is he knew his identity fully and was able to walk that out and speak from that place. And, um, and that is a lesson for us, but, um, but I don't think the disciples knew their identity fully. They really didn't get it. And I think mm. that's, it shows in uh, the things they, how they tried to unpack um, Christianity uh, or the teachings of the way later on. So anyway, we could, we'll talk yeah. more about that. Yep. For sure. But we got a text too, oh, right? Yeah. We do. We have a text. Um, Cue it up. Man, that's hot, hot off the press. Okay. A quote. Hey, y'all. Ooh. Here's a funny, or I, I'd rather say quite incestuous passage. It's Genesis uh, chapter 19, uh, verses 30 through 38. And uh, basically, that's I'll paraphrase here. That, that, that passage is the, the passage of Lot's two daughters who end up having sex with him after their mother was turned into a pillar of salt. So it talks. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the summary. You can look it up. Um, Genesis 1930 through 38 is the passage. Okay. So let me read, read on with this, man. If a literalist starts reading through their Bible, they won't get too far until um, they run into this one. <laughs> or maybe that's the whole reason for what's happening in Alabama. Oh, too many literalists reading through their Bibles. Could that be their go-to passage to justify incest? Smiley face. Oh, this is from damn. Joel from Estonia. <laughs> well, it, it is. It's, Burn. It's, it's biblical. It's a. It's a biblical right there. It's biblical. <laughs> it's a, hey hey. That was just a joke. I don't think he was really like slamming Alabama folks because we. I, I think he was. We know some good people in Alabama, but anyway. That's true. No, you're right. That's yeah. true. Like our, like our, like, like our, our sponsor, sponsor, exactly. <laughs> yes. Don't. But I, I, I think uh, he would be anti-incest. I'm pretty sure. I haven't asked him, but I'm pretty sure he would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a, that, you could say that with confidence. Dude, we get a lot. Yeah. I, actually, I actually think we have a lot of listeners in Alabama, and I love Alabama. I love, I love the culture. It's awesome there. Yeah, but this is an interesting passage. It's funny. It's just funny. Um, yeah. All right. So do, do you want to do we want to talk about this, or can I tell everybody that this is our winning text? Yeah, is it? Well, yeah, I think you just. I did think I just did. I'm going to tell them again. <laughs> this. Uh, so, hey, our good friends at Zondervan have provided us these brand new New Revised Standard Version comfort print Bibles to give away, and um, for the next seven episodes, we are giving one uh, free Bible away to. Well, there's two ways you can win. You can either call the hotline with a 60 second or less hilarious Bible story, or you can share your favorite. Uh, episode of the podcast on Facebook or Twitter and tag one of the three of us. And our winner is this text that we just read. This is Joel from Estonia. So I'm not even sure where the hell Estonia is, but watch your mail in the next eight to 12 weeks. You'll be getting a Bible in the mail (laughs) carried by a a pony up the side of the mountain, (laughs) wherever you are. Um, You'll get a free Bible. Thank you so much, Joel. And uh, no, Joel's cool, actually. Joel's in our Facebook group and he's an awesome guy. So congrats. Joel's great. How cool is it? How cool, how, how cool is it? We got, we got people listening to the Heritage Happy Hour in Estonia. Yeah. 
in, in Europe. In I'm Europe, not. I'm not sure Zondervan knew that when they signed <laughs> up for this. Thing. Yeah. Whoops. Well, well, there was there were no restrictions. We can't help it. We have an international audience. So there you go. Right. It's super cool. I love Joel. I've I've actually really appreciated his uh, just the the passion that he you know approaches uh, these subjects with. I, I think he's a really really cool guy. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, show. All right. So is it time for our heretic of the week? It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I am Jim Palmer, and I am a heretic. Uh, Hi, Jim. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Oh, man. You know what? It is such a, an honor to have you on the podcast, Jim. Um, so uh, just for the sake of time, I know when I the answer to this first question could be very long. So why do people think you're a heretic, Jim? Well, I received a Master of Divinity degree from Trinity Seminary in Chicago. Following that, I joined the pastoral staff of the largest church in North America, then eventually left and founded and pastored a successful non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee for a number of years, then had a crisis of faith because I noticed that my upstanding, bulletproof, evangelical, biblical, orthodox theology didn't seem to really be touching the brokenness, dysfunction, and suffering of the people in my congregation. And to be honest, it wasn't really touching that suffering in my own life. So that crisis of faith sent me packing. I left professional Christian ministry and to find out what what was wrong, what was real, what wasn't real. Uh, that's when I started writing books in 2005. And over the course of writing five and just finishing my sixth book, I have earned uh, the label of heretic. In fact, the actual label was pinned on me after I had written my third book, Being Jesus in Nashville, when my book contract was canceled and my manuscript was rejected under the accusation of being a heretic and no longer following orthodox biblical theology. So it is an official designation I've been given, and but there are plenty of people who would use the word heretic and actually would use a lot of uh, worse words than that oh, yeah. to, uh, um, you know, describe myself and um, call down the judgment and fire and <laughs> wrath of God upon my head and and things like that. So, right. I, you know, that's that's kind of what puts me in the heretic camp is my deconversion from much of my previous uh, Christian belief system. Mm -hmm the deconstruction and, and, and moving um, beyond the confines of um, my, my evangelical theology. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, so many, I'm sure so many of our listeners have uh, experienced the same sort of thing, um, including all the three hosts of this show. Uh, could you maybe unpack just for a few moments, if, if you don't mind, what were maybe some of the things that you replaced your um, evangelical doctrines with? 
And, and and specifically, which ones are the ones that people gravitate toward calling you a heretic for? Well, the reason why I was branded a heretic as a result of being Jesus in Nashville was a combination of making Jesus a little too human and perhaps making myself a little too divine in terms of putting myself and Jesus on equal footing. So I think Jesus, in my view, was extraordinary, not because of his divinity, but because of his humanity. So for sure, if a person um, tinkers with orthodox Christology, the divinity of Jesus, that this is certainly going to get you into the to the heretic camp uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. But thinking about a lot of my my previous evangelical Christian theology is that I think one of the things that happen is that when people deconvert or deconstruct their former Christian beliefs, then I think what they they think you know, what needs to happen is that you replace them with new and improved, more progressive, kinder, gentler, universalistic type uh, beliefs. And so you just recreate a different belief system with what seems to be more expansive, more liberating kinds of beliefs. But I'm not sure exactly why, how that necessarily is the only route to go. Mm. You know, why... Why is, why does the spiritual life have to kind of be anchored in this idea of having a set of beliefs that supply, you know, answers to life's greatest existential questions, which I'm not sure that we will find any conclusive answers to them anyway. Uh, So one of the things that I did in terms of my life after religion is to quit the hamster wheel of conceptualizing mm. God, um, you know, uh, theological matters. It's really a Western phenomenon that we think that the way we grab a hold of spiritual truth or spiritual reality is this thing we do in our mind by conceptualizing ideas. You know, the back in my church days, you know, you could take our beliefs and put it on the back of the church, you know, the Sunday program or brochure, as we used to call it. And so why why is that? You know, uh, um, maybe there's a whole set of different questions that ultimately don't really have a lot to do with the existence of God, life after death, the purpose or meaning in life. So one of those questions is something as simple as, um, how about this as a question? Am I living life well? What what about that as a question? Am I living life well? Well, first off, you'd have to decide what does that even mean? What does it mean to live life well? Right. And then... um, going down the road of pondering what that means for you and, and creating a life of meaning, purpose, uh, well-being, fulfillment, satisfaction, joy. 
Um, and, and that may have very little to do with answering these kind of kinds of theological questions. So, you know, uh, religion gets us all stirred up on questions about things like the afterlife. And, but what about the question of the here life? Right. People yeah. are all like, we're all like concerned about the divinity of Jesus when we've, we're barely scratching the surface on his humanity and yeah. embracing that humanity for ourselves. You yeah. know, why are we all worked up about the possibility of hell when we die, when the world is filled with suffering that we could prevent right. or alleviate. So I don't know, you know, to, in my mind, religion gets people all stirred up on a bunch of questions and either there's no conclusive answer to, or it's not necessarily relevant to our lives now. I mean, I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Neither does you, neither do you, neither does anybody else. Right. I'll deal with that when I die. I'm not dead <laughs> now. Right. I'm alive. So right. yes. I need to figure out how to live, how to embrace life, how to self-actualize, how to become fully what and who I am as a human being. But religion never never taught me that. Religion never gave me the tools to develop myself, to actualize my fullest potential and possibilities as a human being. Right. Yeah, and so I think it's what's it's interesting. Um, I, I agree with you. I think we've majored too much on, and we can get into why if you want. But I mean, uh, I think it's demonstrably true. Uh, Christianity, especially in America, has been more about information and having the right beliefs and having the right information about God, um, rather than an experiential spirituality that does then get get onto more like. What what's what is good for my life right now? Like you're saying, like what are things that bring me life today? Peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment and and my beliefs about you know this doctrine or that doctrine or you know what happens after I die. Those things do, don't even get close to touching anything at all about any of the actual practical things that I, that I might need uh, to work out to live my life right now. Yeah, I mean, when I think about today, for example, um, I, I'm a runner. I do a lot of running. I usually run early, so it's not uncommon for me to catch um, a sunrise when I'm running. And I can stop and appreciate the beauty of it. It can evoke feelings of awe and wonder in terms of thinking about my place in you know the interrelated web of all existence. And it doesn't require beliefs about the sunset. I don't need a sunset theology. You know, I don't need a doctrine of the sunset to wait enjoy minute, wait it. I, I want to know what is your what is your sun theology? What, what, I mean, I don't need. I don't. There there isn't any added value by taking the human moments of our lives that are deeply meaningful and satisfying, and then sort of adding some explanation or some belief to it. I yes, don't see right. where the value add is that I can, right. I can along the everyday paths of life, I am capable of um, offering compassion and acceptance and love uh, to another human being. I can come along aside another person in the midst of their suffering and mm -hmm. uh, find a human solidarity with almost any human being 
it's it's a direct and unmediated experience of what's real. I don't I don't need a doctrine. I don't need theology. I don't need a belief system. I just need to be all there, um, and in that direct and unmediated experience of life. And that's why often I use the phrase. Uh, life is my religion. There, you know, religion taught people to separate the sacred and the secular. The right. sacred stuff is mm-hmm. when we go to church, when we go to religious places, when we read the religious books, when we talk about religious things, when we're connecting with the religious gurus, and then everything else is secular. Right. And it's it's a false distinction. Either yeah. all of life is spiritual or none of it is. Amen. It's not. It's not like a thing is spiritual. Spirituality is something that you bring <laughs> into life or you imbue, you you bring it into the moment. It's not like a something that you find somewhere and you don't find somewhere else. Right. 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 Yeah. Everything you're saying, Jim, is, uh, this is Matt, by the way, um, is like so resonating with me because I've, I've come to the same conclusions, you know, in, in my process of deconstruction, I got to this, you know, patristic universalist place. And now I'm just like that, that helped in some way, because I, I think beliefs do matter in, in some way, because they, they certainly are a lens with which we view the, the perfect now, the, the present moment, but in a real way, like the, they're just secondary to the actual present moment. And that's why I personally have found, you know, I've gravitated towards like Buddhism and Mahayana Buddhism and what you're saying speaks to, um, speaks just so much truth. But my question is, is, is since you mentioned that you grew up in the evangelical world, what were some of those? Um, so, so what I'm saying is that you obviously haven't been always viewing the world in the way you do now. What were some of those maybe cards that were pulled out? that you pulled out and then, and then that led to the whole thing sort of coming down. First, let me just say one quick thing about Mahayana Buddhism, because I've also explored that path quite a bit. And just think about how practical it is. I mean, if you think about the four, the the four noble truths or the eightfold path, I mean, it's very practical. You know, if you look at stoicism as a philosophy, even in the practice of virtue and, you know, there's so many other, um, you know, it, it's, it's very practical to yeah. your yeah. life. Of course, that's not to say that Buddhists don't have a lot of other kinds of beliefs in, you know, sure. the, the, an infinite number of universes and reincarnation and things like that. Um, my evangelicalism started with theism. There is a God. He is a personal being. Mm-hmm. And and which means that we go around telling people that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. I can't tell you how many people contact me all the time to tell me the guilt and shame that they feel for never having been able to get this relationship thing going with God. Right. You know, because first off, whatever God is, we know for sure God's not a person. Like even the Bible says God is spirit. So so God God is not a man. He doesn't have a penis. You sure? Right. God, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, or even the, 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 the human personhood, the idea of God as a personal being that is uh, somewhere yonder 
who is executing um, a plan right. and that is masterminding a culmination of human history to lead to an eventual sorting out of, of, of evil and good and so on. The, the whole theistic narrative about God is one of those cards that dropped out yeah. of, of my evangelical uh, theology. My, the, the hand of theological cards I, I learned, that was one. Um, the idea of a personal God in control of the affairs of the world. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of other perfectly fine possibilities that, that one could think through in terms of in, in terms of a God that, that is, is pleased with allowing human beings to utilize their, their inherent tools and capacities, their potentials and abilities um, to, to create a meaningful path forward. Who's to say that, that said God uh, wouldn't want that to happen, for example, you know, versus the idea, which I learned in evangelicalism, which is human beings are powerless. We're weak. We're incapable. We lack wisdom. Uh, we lack the ability. We're inherently sinful. Our hearts are deceitful, and and we're not capable of of really directing our lives or this world in a meaningful um, and good way. You know, that's what I at the very core of Christian theology is that you there's something inherently intrinsically wrong with who you are. Like naturally, you were born wrong. Now you can be forgiven. And you can somehow receive the, the, the righteousness of Jesus. And so every time God looks at you, he doesn't really see you, but kind of looks past you and sees this righteousness of Jesus, which kind of makes up for your flaws and your shortcomings. To me, that that's one of the, the biggest wounds religion yeah. has inflicted upon humankind. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of original sin went, theism went, original sin went, um, the idea of heaven and hell as a location somewhere beyond in the Netherlands that where all your, you know, dreams come true, kind of the Disneyfication of religion that fell out as well. So um, I'm, I'm curious um, as you were talking, there's a couple of thoughts. Um, So I know you personally don't, so it sounds like what you're saying is for you, you reached a point where you sort of rejected the, the even, not just Christianity and evangelicalism, but really the, even the idea that there is a, a God who is a person that we could know or a, a heavenly father who loves us or anything like that. Um, okay, can I say one thing about that? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Um, so the, there, there's two things I think people confuse that are pretty important about, well, uh, with respect to Jesus, um and mentioning the father mm-hmm. okay um and, and, is it pa- huh oh i'm sorry i, I didn't go ahead well all i was going to say is is it possible that we all know that trying to describe ultimate reality or god uh i mean even all, almost all religious people say that god can't be comprehended he's be you know uh, is incomprehensibility to the the ultimate reality that we're pointing to when we use the word God, right? God is a word. 
There's an etymology to it. We use the word as a marker to try to identify something that is really beyond all identification. We say it's infinite, it's incomprehensible, it's unfathomable, it's a mystery and all this stuff, which is why it's so strange in the next breath we define it with all our creeds and theology and stuff like that. But but right. what about this? Well, couldn't it be that when Jesus was talking about, when he was trying to identify what he saw was at the very heart, the very essence of life, at the very center of the mystery of it all, is something that he experienced in a very personal way, like, for example, through love. Right. Like, that, that's how Jesus seemed to experience what he believed to be at the very heart and essence of life. And so he chose to speak of this as father, because, we I mean, that would have been a useful metaphor you could have used if you were trying to talk about this sort of thing um, in, in his Jewish tradition, where the idea of a father was a fond notion. It was very personally fond notion of someone who was strong, but caring, loving, loyal, and all these sorts of characteristics. Yep. You know, I, I agree with you on that. I, I was even going to say, uh, when you were describing um, the, the Christianity that I think we're all familiar with, and we've, we've touched on this before, the idea that, uh, which I reject, and I think most of us reject, and most of our listeners reject, this idea that this theology of Christianity that says that um, original sin, you know, you're a, you're a worm, you're a wretch, um, God can barely stand to look at you, but because of Jesus, uh, what is it? Augustine said, or wasn't no, Luther said, you were, we are dung covered snow or something like that. Um, but we're still, we're still crap, you know, in, in God's eyes, but yeah, I reject that right. idea completely. And I, I don't even think actually that it's, that's an idea that you can support from scripture. Cause I, cause what I see in the new Testament is the idea, like Paul just goes on and on and on about the incredible love of God, how high and wide and long and deep it is. And he never follows that up with, oh, and by the way, you worm, you scumbag, you don't deserve right. it. We do that, and the and, and religion does that. So I think you know, that is, yes. isn't even being true to what I think what Christianity was supposed to be about, right? I, I don't I don't accept that that is the real revelation in it. Right. Uh, Jim, this is Jamal, by the way. <laughs> um, it's great to have Whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> Jamal? Yeah. <laughs> He's here. I'm here. He's here. <laughs> okay, I believe in. Uh, I, I believe in anything now. Oh man, I I appreciate you. You've been so patient. I thank you for uh, for for accommodating um, our schedule or my schedule. I should say. Oh that. no, I don't care. But it's an it's honor fun. to have you on the podcast. And anyway, I just I, thanks. I, I had a question for you. Um, and and tell you know, I guess maybe more a clarification. Um, one of the things I've appreciated about your work was specifically like um. I, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that one of the things that you're trying to get across through some of the things that you've you've written and uh, just your heart is is really, I really see you helping Christians specifically understand that there's a difference between seeing yourself as a follower of Jesus versus seeing yourself as the Christ personally. So, yes. for example, you wrote a book called. Um, being Jesus in Nashville. And I, what I get from that yep. is not that you're trying to follow Jesus or be a good Christian, but you actually see yourself as a manifestation of the Christ yourself in Nashville. Is that correct? And could you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, that that's what actually got me in some ways labeled as a heretic initially was that idea. But it's like telling people 
that God loves them is good mm-hmm. theology, but loving them yourself is what changes the world. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, like, we'll just take the story of Jesus, for example. Okay, think about the adulterous woman. Okay, so Jesus turns away his, you know, her accusers, right? Then he goes over to her, you know, as the story goes, you know, she's she's in a heap in the dust. Um, and once the dust settles, think about all the things Jesus did not do. Jesus did not tell the woman that God loved her. Jesus did not hand her a track or a pamphlet or a book for her to read to understand God's love. Jesus did not ask the woman to go hike to the summit of a mountaintop and to think and meditate upon uh, the love of God. Jesus did not do any of those things. Jesus himself knelt down in the dirt and he was an expression of love and compassion to the woman himself. Mm -hmm. And so this is what uh, I think where I was getting at in being Jesus in Nashville was that um, because because I essentially believe that the reason why Jesus asked people to put their faith in him was that they were not capable of putting faith in themselves yet. I love it. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, I, I think what happened is Jesus got started. Um, he, he pointed out the misuses of his religious tradition. I mean, he, he also affirmed what was good about that tradition, but he did uh, vehemently confront. Right. And so, okay. And then he went out. And, and, and I think tried to um, convince people that, that the kingdom of God was within themselves and things such as this, and nobody would believe it. And so basically, I think Jesus figured that out eventually and said, okay, all right, well, okay. As a temporary measure, can you at least put your faith in me? Okay, like I'm a human being, aren't I? Like you remember me, right? I'm Jesus. I mean, some of you changed my diaper. Some of you saw me as a preteen, you know, raising hell outside the temple. You people have seen me my whole life. You know who I am. I'm a human just like you, right? Can you at least believe that the person that you're looking at right now, Jesus, is the one who is living this courageous, loving, compassionate, transcendent life. At least give me that. That's so good. See, so I, I love what you're saying. I just, so the listeners can under, like maybe to, I, I just want to highlight what you just said, because I, I think it's so key that s- trusting Jesus or putting your faith in Jesus is a temporary short-term measure until you can see who you truly are. So. Right. It's not that it's not that different, I guess, from the idea that, you know, the, the whole idea, um, I think the Buddha was uh, it is said that the Buddha made this statement. If you see the if you see the Buddha on the street, kill him. And the idea is that there is no Buddha. Like if you look, if you come across some person on the street named Buddha, well, you know, like the, you or you're the Buddha. Quit looking for some Buddha, some person walking around out there, which is the enlightened one. You know, you you are the Buddha. There's Buddhahood, which we the same way you're using this idea of the Christ, where there it is the an essence or nature that's that is um, 
exists in potential in every human being, but it has to be activated or you have to practice it or you have to live it. Yeah. Uh, this has really uh, been a great conversation, Jim. I, I apologize. We need to ask you the final question, which is uh, if anyone is intrigued by the kind of stuff you're talking about and they want to learn more, maybe follow some of the, you know, your writing, blogging, podcasting, things like that online, how would they get a hold of you and uh, where can they learn more? Well, you can go to my Jim Palmer Amazon page. That's all my books. And if a person's interested, just start at the beginning. You can follow all the steps that I took starting from the day I left Organized Church to where I'm at now. So Divine Nobodies is the first book, Wide Open Spaces, Being Jesus in Nashville, Notes from Over the Edge, and then Inner Anarchy is my last book. Um, The one I just wrote that's not published yet is entitled Common Hours. So you can go to uh, my Amazon page, jimpalmerauthor.com is my website. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And you're pretty, pretty active on Facebook as well. And I, um, and, and I think pretty accessible as well. So uh, that's where, that's where I found you and, and where I've been following you. All right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I appreciate it guys. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. We definitely want to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Bye. you so much. God bless, man. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. My man. Wow. My man. Hey, hey guys, Jim Palmer. What are you guys? Mm-hmm. He's, he's the real deal. He is the dude. He is yeah. amazing. I've been following this guy for probably five, four or five years, maybe, or maybe longer, but it, it seems like it's been a long time. I've been following him on Facebook and uh, I'll be honest. When I first started following him, I thought this guy is a freaking heretic. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, you thought that, you thought uh, that about me too. I do. Well, yeah, probably. Um, but now, now, now I'm listening to him and going, this guy is so right on. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I was so honored when he, he wrote the forward to my book. Yeah. I'm bragging here, but like he did. He, I was blown away with yeah, that. That's man. Awesome. I love that. I know. That's huge. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, and so uh, a lot of great stuff that, that uh, we covered there with Jim. And I think um, that we need to kind of lead into our topic for this episode which is dealing with the incarnation. So we're doing this God series from the kind of the character and nature of God. And we can't talk about that without talking about um, the incarnation, because this is, it's a pretty big, you know, cornerstone uh, doctrine in Christian, in Christianity, right? This belief that Mm. Jesus, uh, the second person of the Trinity or God, the son uh, was the logos or the word made flesh. And um, he was born of a virgin, you know, the whole kind of the, the creeds statements. And, um, and so it's a pretty big deal, this, I, the, this view that Jesus was the incarnation of the deity. He was the incarnation of God, the word made flesh. <clears throat> but we, need to, <clears throat> we wanted to talk about that because in, on one level, I think for a lot of Christians, it seems it, because it is such a cornerstone belief, um, it's sort of like a, a given, like, well, yeah, of course. But there are big implications for the doctrine. And I think once we start discussing it, we'll kind of start pulling on some threads here about like, was this incarnation unique? What does the incarnation of Jesus mean for the rest of us today? Um, what does it even mean to say that that the divine became flesh, right? And at all these ideas. So there's, there's a lot to, to kind of unpack yeah. here on this topic. Yeah, I think it's just, it's one of those ones where, I am way more interested in that question you just asked. What does it mean for us? Mm-hmm. 
And I think, I think too often in Christian theology is we just talk about these ideas as if they have no implication in our lives, or we just want to wrestle with some like kind of inconsequential things. Not that the incarnation is not inconsequential, but some of the jots and tittles, like we get so mm-hmm. fucking hung up on being like precise, so precise at the expense of like how we talk to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, or we create these creeds maybe with the best of intentions that say, this is the right interpretation of what's that um, Greek term, homoousius or however you say it. Um, where like God's nature and Jesus' nature are the same. Right. And it's like, okay, all that is fine and good. But if that then causes us to divide, if we're going to divide over how we interpret the incarnation, then I think that's where we really miss the point. And I think in a lot of these conversations, that's what always strikes me is like, yeah, it's important, but sometimes it becomes so divisive on, on how... We just have to always be so precise or so correct. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of those very, very mysterious ones, at least for me. Yeah. Well, it was a big deal. Like you said, I mean, I think today it's not so big a debate for Christians today. But if you could go back in time and look at the really starting the, starting in the first century, you know, this was one of the biggest debates, you know, between early Christians, you know, the Jewish Christians, Gnostics, um, uh, followers of Arius of Alexandria, uh, all these kind of people. Like this was a hot, hot topic. This was highly debated. People were mm-hmm. really, really concerned about how to sort of how do we slice this? How do we parse this? Like, and what does it mean to say that Jesus was the Word who you know that the Word was made flesh and was incarnated in Christ? And uh, you know the whole idea of being fully God and fully man. But then there were very lots of variations, of course you know, that, um, kind of didn't survive, uh, to, to, to today, but, you know, different ideas of like, well, Jesus became the Christ. Uh, some say Jesus became the Christ at his baptism. Some say at the incarnation, like at his birth, even, you know, pre-birth in the womb, he was incarnate, but others say that, well, and again, there's scriptural basis for some of this, that, that he became Christ at his baptism because that's when the spirit descended upon him. I think some right. some also taught that he was incarnate in, in the sense that he became Christ at his resurrection. So he was never Christ right. until the resurrection. So this well, and Bart Ehrman, remember, he points out that there's this progression in that thought. Yes, in our interview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's um, it's not so much. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I've ever heard anyone arguing and debating this topic today. The the, the debate, I don't, the only debate I see. On this topic has to do with sort of the because there's there's a very minority, but it's it's there's good numbers. You know, there's what's called the oneness Pentecostal movement, uh, and there's a lot of oneness doctrines and and their belief. It's more of a denial of the Trinity um, than it is. I mean, I think they would still say that Jesus was the incarnation of God. They would just deny that um, that there are three separate persons. So I've seen that kind of an argument, but. Most Christians today are not arguing uh, over this question of the incarnation. It seems like it's a settled issue. But like you said, um, at the end of the day, so what? Well, like, like, what does that have mm-hmm. to do with me? And that, that, that is more interesting to me to say, what, what does the incarnation uh, of Christ in Jesus, what does it mean for you and me today? That's the million-dollar question, and that's where this whole topic is not settled. And I really believe that Christianity is ineffective 
precisely because we don't understand this concept. It, Christianity has largely been ineffective at transformation. Largely. I mean, most people that you know, grow up in the church, believe these doctrines, and they believe that no one will argue with you. You go to any fundamentalist church, you know, whatever, and you ask them, you know, hey, do you believe Jesus is God? I mean, that's a tenant. That's absolutely, you can't, you, you know, you don't really have a choice in that matter. Um, but their life is not affected. They're not transformed because what we believe about Jesus being, I mean, it's fine and dandy to believe that this is a, you know, there's a theologian's would coined the term with the theos 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 but theos this off i can't remember i can't pronounce the easy phrase, for you to say yeah <laughs> it's the, the the union between the divinity and the humanity and like somehow there was a unique human who lived two thousand years ago who was the only one who's ever lived is who is the perfect combination of fully god and fully man that makes no difference to human lives unless jesus is actually making a statement about all of us now if he's not if it's just about him, doesn't matter. And I think that's that's where we've gotten off as, a, as, as, as Christianity has gotten way off track because they made it about Jesus and not about all of us. And mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would push – I push back in that and say, no, 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 no. This Jesus is literally a metaphor for all of us. And if mm -hmm. he's the only God man on the earth, then it don't mean a thing to us. Um, but, but we, I, I, I firmly believe this is the question at hand. What does it say about our nature? Because we're the ones that have been kind of in the dark. I feel like humanity's been in the dark about their, their nature. And, and that's, that's what this, this entire conversation, I feel like uh, this is where the incarnation, so to speak, becomes, wow, is there more than just one? Yeah. You know, <laughs> with, that's an well, I would agree with Richard Rohr when yeah. Richard Rohr says the incarnation didn't happen 2000 years ago. It actually happened at the Big Bang. We just were able to connect with it in by seeing one of our own likeness um, and go, oh, mm. there we go. You know that we can relate with that because there's one who is like us. But uh, incarnation has been going on for a long time. Yeah. Well, and this is something where I knew I knew I knew we were going to get into this conversation, Jamal, because if you and I have been. <clears throat> just dancing around this argument, I think back and forth, you and I, I think you and I agree on certain points, but I think we diverge on a few nuances of how we understand it or express this idea. Because I, I agree with you that, in fact, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, there are some passages in Ephesians and Colossians that when you put them together, they say exactly what you're saying, Jamal, that um, like the what Colossians chapter two um where it says, let's see, verse nine, for in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And, and it also talks about in Ephesians, how we have been filled with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So you, you, you get a, a more developed Christology in Colossians and Ephesians, especially, um, which is ex saying exactly, I believe, what, what you're saying, Jamal, and I, I would totally affirm this, that because Jesus uh, was the incarnation, because, because the Word was made flesh in Christ, Christ was made flesh, the Word was made flesh in Jesus, um, because of that, we now can also be the ongoing incarnation of, of Christ in the world today. In fact, I think that's exactly what we are supposed to do. We are filled with the fullness of Christ. Christ, it was filled with all the deity. The, the, the deity dwelt in Christ, you know, completely fullness uh, in bodily form. And that then 
if Christ is in my body, then then I'm also then the expression of the of the deity uh, in bodily form, right? So this incarnation, I believe, is always intended to be ongoing, to be you know it's still happening. Um, and so I think you and I would disagree a little bit on so like I said, some of the nuances of how that works out. But I think we can agree on that point that uh, we, if we are in Christ, we are the incarnation of of the deity in the world today. And that's exactly what we were called to be. Yeah. I think the, I think the word, you know, the, the point I would make is that Jesus didn't come and then go, okay, now we, we can all be found in him. And now we're, I see, this is where I think, I think um, God was with us always, even before Jesus came, God was always with us, which is really what the term Emmanuel means. But, but we didn't know that because, because we didn't realize that. And where was God with us? God was with us in us as us. It's, um, you know, uh, it's, it's this concept of, so Jesus comes to remind us, so to speak, of what's always been true, that we have always been the light of the world, even when we didn't know it. Even before the revelation of God came through this person, Jesus, we were still the very – and I think people misunderstand when it says that we are made in the image and likeness. This isn't like some cheap thing. You know, like where it's like, oh, it's just kind of like, kind of like this God thing. Like, I were, the only way I know how to put this is when I used to work in a computer lab when I was in college, and uh, there was a mainframe, and it had all the, the everything on this mainframe, and then they had terminals that were connected to it, all the little workstations, and they would talk about the image. So when you, we would have to ghost the machines at the end of every semester, wipe them clean, and then we would restore the image. And basically, what you were looking at on these little computer screens that people would work at. They weren't, there was nothing actually, what they were looking at was what was on the mainframe. It was actually the mm-hmm. image coming from the mainframe that was coming through these individual computers. So it looked like these were individual separate computers, but in reality, it was simply a broadcasted image from the mainframe. And I would say that is exactly who we are. We are literal images of God in 3D space and time. And it's not like, and it, and it comes through our humanity. So it's this perfect union of God and humans together in space and time as incarnation. This is this isn't this is not unique to Jesus. It's it's all of us. Jesus is the I believe the the revelation of that because he knew it and was able to impart that to us. But it was always true. Yeah. So let me um uh, okay. So let me just kind of talk about this because I I've been because you and I have been going back and forth on this Jamal. I am writing a book. Um, coming out probably the end of this year on universalism, I kind of dive, we took some time to dive into this question. And so here's, here's what I noticed. So um, trying to figure out this idea of like, are all in Christ and is Christ in all and all that kind of stuff. So um, what I noticed was, and I want to say, thank Brad Jerzak, because Brad Jerzak had written a couple of articles that kind of helped me along this line, um, was that there seems to be this idea that Jesus develops in the gospels and the gospel of John's uh, but also in Matthew and in other places, this idea that, so, so for example, when, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he, he acknowledges that they are the children of Abraham. I think it's in John eight. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He says, but you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. He says, I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. And then that whole path, that whole section there, in Matthew, and sorry, in John 8, starting in verse 17, all the way to verse 44, is Jesus unpacking this idea that um, by imitation of your father, you 
you indicate who your who your true father really is. So if God is your father, you would do the things that God does. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. It, you know, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, bless those who curse you. Why? Because if you do, you'll be like your father in heaven who lets it rain on the just and on the unjust. So because God does these things, if you imitate God, you would be you would be uh, proving that you are of your father. So here in John 8, right, he's saying to the Pharisees, I know that your father, you are Abraham's children. I know that. I know that even technically you are the children of God. But because you ought to kill me, you are of your father, the devil, he says. And the desires of your father are what you want to do. So there is this idea that even if your actual identity is, let's say, a child of God or a child of Abraham or whatever, um, it's only apparent if you are if you are actually you know, uh, imitating that your father. So if I imitate Christ, guess what? Now I'm of Christ. But if I'm not imitating Christ, even if Christ is in me, what's the point if I'm completely going against everything that Christ was about? So, um, and Brad, Brad Jerzak's quote in his article is, he says, in short, Christ's call to imitate Abba is to, quote, be what you are. It is to make the truth of your being, children of God, the way of your being, the imitation of the of the Abba, so um, that's why orthopraxy is so uh, ortho, orthopraxy is so important, right? It that is the evidence of who your father really is, of who is really in you, who's actually operating in your heart, in your mind, uh, in your life. And so, I, for me, this this yeah. this um, imitation of someone is is really the evidence of what is in you, yeah, or not. No, and. Obviously, imitation is going to be really important coming from a Girardian background, but I won't get into that yet because I don't want people to get too drunk. But um, I think I think we can only initially imitate Christ because Christ is already in us and we are in Christ. Right. So it's not like it's not like we can go about starting to imitate Christ and then Christ will be like, okay, well, he's shown that he can do some good things here. Now I'll now you're I'll be I'll be in you and you and me and all this. So it's like this reality that, like you said, it's not that you're literally ontologically created from the, the devil doesn't create things, right? No, no. Um, so he's not, I don't think Jesus is ever making that statement, but yes, it's it's about imitation. It's about um, whatever gods we believe in, you can call it God, you can call it the devil, you can call it, we're going to imitate that. And that's the fruit of uh, the our imitation proves the types of gods we follow. And so if you're following the devil, it's as if you're, that's your God. Right. Um, but for me, I guess the question becomes a, a good question for me is, do we just see Jesus as like the first person who realized this or um, like, it's always been true. Like Jamal, you would say, and is it just that uh, it's like actualized in the, in the most, um, unveiled way in jesus and and now we have a model mm-hmm. or it could it have been someone else who act who who realized it first and then we'd be worshiping some other some guy named daniel or something well but the, the, that to me is the is the the real problem is that why do we jump from um imitation to worship like you know, like, okay, I agree with you. So is is Jesus the one who first sort of actualized this reality? And then what we should do then is model and imitate his his realization, his revelation. 
but uh, because I, I would say we've talked about this before, like, you know, there have been times when you look at the teachings in the past of people like Socrates or Buddha or other, other religious leaders, where they seem to be sort of having the same actualization, the same revelation that Jesus did. Um, so, but we don't, but the goal would not be to worship them. It would be to, to go, Oh, Hey, they're right about something. Maybe I should kind of like follow their lead. Yeah. I think right. worship of ever, other people only gets off when we make them exclusive. And I have no problem with worshiping people as long as it's not just exclusive. As like I, I, I don't think Jesus wanted to be exclusively worshipped as God um, in a way that would prohibit us from doing that I don't think so from other people. But I want to push back something. Here's I want to make a really strong distinction. Again, I hear what you're saying, Keith, but I would disagree with the assertion that imitation is contingent upon being in Christ because – I don't think that's why people imitate Christ. In my understanding, imitating Christ is, does not determine whether or not you're in Christ because that becomes very transactional. Okay, I am in Christ if then I do these things. I understand some of the writers in the New Testament phrase it that way, and I would just disagree with them. I, my, I firmly believe that uh, I firmly believe that imitation is contingent upon, and I believe this Jesus. Refer to this imitation of Christ, of Jesus. Imitation of Jesus is contingent upon us knowing who we are. So, I, I if if somebody doesn't imitate Jesus, it's because they don't know who they are, and that doesn't make it just like an orphan. Someone can be running around saying, "I'm an orphan," but that'd be a medical impossibility. So, an orphan is somebody who feels like they have no parents. But then, as soon as let's say they 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 get reunited with their parents, they're going, "Oh no, you're actually not an orphan." Because now you see that you have parents. Okay, it's the same thing. Most human beings are running around with an understanding, a darkened understanding of their identity. They feel cut off from God. They're operating as if they're separate. And so therefore their their persona is 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 not accurate. So therefore they're not operating as beings of, of light. But we are at our nature beings of light. So what Jesus does is he says, Okay, I am the light of the world, which Christians have no problem declaring. Uh, but he also said, but you are the light of the world. And it wasn't contingent upon their behavior. It wasn't contingent upon them understanding the right information or imitating him at all. It didn't have anything to do with imitating him. He was telling them, you are the light of the world and no one can take a light and hide it under a bed. And the reason that it was being hidden is because they didn't precisely understand their nature. And Paul does the same thing in Corinth when the Corinthian believers are like having sex with prostitutes and incest is going on. And he writes, he starts the letter by saying to the holy ones, the saints in Christ, he's reminding them of who they are. It had nothing to do with their behavior. It was not contingent upon their behavior. So this, in that sense, I would agree with Paul and say, yes, he's calling them back to who they are, which is the key. And I, in my coaching work with people, this is the number one, this is the root of all problems is perceptions of separation from God and from one another. And because that separation is an illusion. It does not exist. And I just, that's, I just feel really passionate about that because it's like, I don't think it's contingent or transactional, but we yeah. do need to know it to be able to live according to it. Right. And, I, and again, I don't think you and I are disagreeing on this, Jamal. I, I'm, I'm not saying that until you imitate Christ, Christ isn't in you. I'm not saying that. In fact, I, that's why I use the example about, you know, uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Right. Jesus begins by saying, you are the children of Abraham. And I got that. But because you're not acting like Abraham, what you're doing is acting as if your father is Satan. Sure. Uh, and so I think it's, so that's what I would say is like, 
yes, Christ is in everyone, but until you are, I mean, okay, let's go back to this idea in first John where it says, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And yes, but only if you are living in love, right? And when you're living in love, then, ah, God is alive in you. God is now active in you. It, it doesn't mean he wasn't in you. It means he wasn't active. It wasn't apparent. It wasn't, um, it wasn't obvious. Like I couldn't, no one could look at you and say, whoa, God is alive in that person. Because what they would see is that, well, it looks like Satan is alive in you because I, that's all I see coming out of you. So what I mean is that imitation is sort of evidence of uh, what you're living out of, what, what reality you are affirming you know, mm-hmm. in yourself. So um, I, I, let's go back and say this. I, I think it's possible, and I, I think it's very possible. I think it's, I think it's actually something that we can observe, that there are people who are living out of love who would even, I would even say are living out of a Christ-like nature who would never tell you they're a Christian. Totally. Right. I mean, I think, I, I think it's a metaphor. So Jesus, a lot of times we get caught up in the person of Jesus, but what if Jesus is simply a metaphor, like the idea of the, the virgin birth? I mean, honestly, people debate, did this happen? You know, at one point, uh, I think Meg pointed this out to me recently um, through some of her writing is that that there was a belief in the early Catholic Church that Mary was impregnated through her ear. <laughs> Did you know that was the belief? That was the teaching of the church. Because oh, it, it, it's, it's the word. It's the word, right? The word was spoken to her ear. But but the idea of like, gosh, you know, the holy seed could not have come through her Vagina. Yeah, it's, it's just asinine. <laughs> but w- the whole thing, though, what, what is the beauty of the virgin birth is that we have a metaphor. And that's where I think myth, and I'm, again, by myth, I'm not saying it did or didn't happen. There's beauty in every myth. There's truth, I feel, I feel like, that is trying to be communicated in mythic stories. So when you have the virgin birth, what you have is you have a you have people saying, wow, there was a union between the holy, the divine, and the earthy of, of humanity. Um, and there's this, and that's the beauty of it. And so I don't think that's simply a statement of Jesus alone. The death and the resurrection of Jesus, is that really about him or is that about all of us? This is a metaphor. I'm convinced that the Jesus character story is a metaphor of us in every way. And this isn't the only, you, there are people throughout history, even before Jesus, that have the same metaphor, death, resurrection on the third day, born of a virgin. This isn't the first time that story appeared in human history. Well, that's that's another episode because like, I would love to get into that with you. I, I think a lot of those stories are not as direct totally. connections to Jesus as we might think. But I, I've heard that many, many times and looked into that stuff too. But, yeah. but I, um, no, I'm sorry, I don't uh, know. I don't know if I'm like too stoned or something, but I'm having a really <laughs> hard time figuring out where you guys actually disagree. Uh, you know, you're right. Actually, I think I think it's just that we we each think that we disagree with each other, and so <laughs> we keep and, and it's because we keep expressing or emphasizing different parts of it. I, yeah, I think it's that, I think it's that you each are maybe emphasizing different things that um, both could possibly have a lot of truth in, and that's I think where I'm landing it's like yeah i think i think we're we're agreeing that it's all about being you know understanding our nature our true nature our divine nature uh, as image bearers of a good god who is love and all that um and then also saying that it's the imitation part is is proof of that is the fruit of that and i think maybe keith you're just emphasizing that part and jamal you're emphasizing the first part and not actually disagreeing (laughs) right which i find fascinating because 
but we're convinced we're convinced. I, we, we gotta, yeah, and so we gotta we gotta take shots when you guys start agreeing now, and it's <laughs> might be too much for people to handle because you guys you guys seem to agree a lot. <laughs> well, well, I I think maybe maybe it's not that I disagree with Keith. I'm I'm more. I, I do disagree with Christianity's uh, um, understanding of this. I, th- I feel like historically, when you look at the story, even the creeds go wrong. I think when you start naming Jesus as the second person in the Trinity, you've totally lost it. Because it, it, at that point, and that was developed, that, I don't think Jesus ever said, hey, guys, I'm the second person in the Trinity. You need to understand this. I'm pretty like sure it, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so like this whole thing of I get there again, it's another story. The the depiction of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this is a, a metaphor. It's not actually how it is. So there's not actually a guy, and then there's a son, Jesus, and then there's like the, I mean, it's just the, the, it, Jesus probably represents the Christ, but but by Christ, we have to understand that this is everything in creation. Um uh, so this is like so this idea and then we all belong there. And so we are actually a part of this dynamic of the trinity the, the, the trinity again it's a beautiful concept but it is a metaphor it's not actually the totality and so there is this this idea julian of norwich i don't know if you guys have ever i mean you i'm sure you've heard of her she's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, she was not you know accepted uh by the christianity of her day but later has been seen as a you know as a as a uh a saint i think in the catholic church and or at least as a mystic and then she's respected now but her message was very controversial for this very reason but i want to um actually in richard Rohr. He has this like daily meditation. Someone sent this to me, and I thought it was amazing because it's what we're talking about. But I just want to kind of quote her a little bit. Um, she makes a statement. Uh, she said, God is in everything. God is nature's substance, the very essence of life. So she speaks of smelling God, of swallowing God in the waters and juices of the earth, of feeling God in the human body and the body of creation. Um, and so like basically what she's emphasizing in, is that – Every the material substance of the earth, of of our bodies, of everything is is not just that God is in it; that it is actually the manifestation, the incarnation of God, which is what people would call panentheism. But this is actually a very old idea that was floating around in in, in Christianity for a long time. And I actually think Jesus. So we look at Jesus and we go, "Wow, look at this amazing!" We celebrate Christmas because it's God becoming a baby, and we marvel at that. But that is every baby. That is every, that is everything. That's every, that, I don't think it's unique to Jesus. And that's where I think we've gotten off as, as a religion, Christianity emphasizes and worships and idolizes Jesus as if he's completely different. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's and, what I was trying to say is that I don't, I think it's, why do we, why do we take these teachings of Jesus and these revelations of Jesus and turn it into like, oh, now we should worship him. Like, I, I think by, by making Jesus someone to worship, it gives us permission not to follow him. You know what I mean? Right. Mm, right. Yeah. So we just think all yeah. we got to do is worship. Yeah, or I think. Deny, yeah. Or to deny the nature of another person. Because then we say, you're not, you're not like Jesus. Right. Jesus is unique. You're not like him. This is the message of Christianity. Well, and you can't and be. It's a the, you know, it drives me crazy. It's the idea of like, not only are you not, you can't be. It's impossible. You can never. He was Jesus. He's the, He was God the Son. And that and therefore you could never be like him, which is that's the absolute opposite of everything oh. Jesus said. Oh, even in First John, it says, as he is yeah. in the world, so are we. Yes. So yes. it's like. I, but I, you would not believe how many people say, well, now that's heresy, Jamal. You, you making yourself out equal with Jesus. You're making yourself out equal with God. Wasn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that why they tried to kill him? <laughs> Freaking, and, and we're like him? We're imitating yeah. him. So, so. No, I do think that's I, – I, I very much do – and this, you and I agree on this part, Jamal. I, I, I think that is a very lost 
uh, key teaching of, of Jesus and even the early church. I mean, it's in the writings of Paul, this idea, you know, this idea that um, this profound mystery, the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's, we are. Well, and Paul, yeah. Paul was so confident of it that he said, imitate me as I imitate yeah. Right. And he could have yeah. just said, imitate me. <laughs> Or imitate well. Or imitate yeah, Christ. We could have said that. I mean, I think we can say that. That's the beauty, though, is to say, you know, I, I always encourage people, you know, in some of my coaching work, we have these affirmations. Look in the mirror and say, I am the light of the world. I, I mean, say it to yourself. It's crazy. Tell people that I'm the light of the world. So are you. But I am, too. You are. I am. We are. We are the Christ. We are the ones we've been waiting for. I mean, it's just to really embody that. It doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you make mistakes. And that, I mean, we are perfect, but we make mistakes. We're growing. We're learning. So it's like, it's like, if I agree, like, it doesn't mean we haven't learned everything. There. It's not like a prideful thing. People think, oh, that's prideful. No, it's just true. It's accurate. Like we mm-hmm. are literally the offspring of divinity in space and time. Uh, there's no other way to put it. And we really need to understand, really hold our heads high and feel that essence in our being. Yeah. It's huge. And I believe Jesus demonstrated yeah. that. We can look at Jesus and say, yeah, look at this man. This conversation, man, it could go on for hours and hours, but um, we are up yeah. against it. So just want to leave leave yep. you all with this. We have a website, heretichappyhour.com. We have a Facebook group. Uh, that's where we can, if you join the Facebook group, you just search Heretic Happy Hour in there. This is where we can carry on the conversation. Because obviously, there's so much more to say. <laughs> um, and please, the show does cost money. And so we do offer people who do support us a lot of extra good bonus shit on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and subscribe, support the show, keep us going. And we will be sure to drop as much good stuff in there for you. Oh, yes. And uh, I wanted to also let everyone know, uh, I am going to be doing my second United We Stand event. Uh, this time in Costa Mesa, California on Saturday, June 22nd. And I would love to see you there if you're in Southern California. Uh, you can find out more at faithandpolitics.us or just look for a link on my Facebook page. Awesome. And we are, is this, this podcast is available on iTunes, I believe, right? Uh, so far. Yeah, still. For the last two years. Awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic so if if i could ask a favor of all the listeners we go there and rate the heritage capyar only five stars and uh write good things give us good reviews and and lots of stars um because that really really helps uh the heritage capyar kind of get exposure and get out there um so the more reviews the better if you haven't if you've been listening to this and you've appreciated the show at all i would just encourage you please I mean, it's easy. It's free to do this. You just go to iTunes and rate and review the to Happy Hour, and it'll go a long way. So we really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yes. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Yes. And and let's let's uh, let's worship each other this weekend. Yes. Yes.